Alexa, take me to the moon. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's Orion capsule will soon head on a mission to the moon and back, launching from Kennedy Space Center later this year. There won't be a crew on board, but there will be a familiar voice. Lockheed Martin partnered with Amazon to install Alexa voice assistants on the capsule. Engineers are also installing video conference tools from WebEx. It's part of an effort to make astronauts traveling some 250,000 miles away from Earth feel more connected to the crew and their families while they're away. We'll talk with Lockheed Martin's Rob Chambers about the project. Then, before Orion can launch into space, its rocket must first go through a dress rehearsal. NASA's Space Launch System rocket is set for a critical test next month, and we'll talk with Jeremy Graber about SLS's wet dress rehearsal ahead of its first launch, sending Orion to the moon. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. Even astronauts a quarter million miles away from Earth can't escape a virtual meeting. A new space capsule designed for missions to the moon will come equipped with WebEx's video conferencing software to connect astronauts to ground crews back here on Earth. The capsule will also have Alexa installed, the voice command platform from Amazon. It's a way for astronauts to stay connected while traveling to the moon and back. And while this first mission on the space capsule Orion won't have a crew, engineers at Lockheed Martin are installing the system to give it a test flight first. To talk more about the partnership and the upcoming mission, we're joined by Lockheed Martin's Rob Chambers. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Rob, it seems like astronauts that are leaving the planet on their way to the moon, they won't even be able to escape the video conference meeting, right? Tell us a bit about... (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, it it reminds me of an astronaut joke, which is, uh, you know, hey, everyone, you know, just like everybody, astronauts put their their pants on one leg at a time in the morning. Of course, they don't because they're in zero gravity and get to pull them up. But I tell you, they are dealing with the same kinds of things we do, working with each other, working with the ground, and um, and all of support folks and they need connectivity and video conferencing and meetings in order to be successful. So yeah, you're not going to get away from it. So let's take it a step back, Rob. Um, what was the problem that you're trying to solve with this technology and and how does this new communication uh, solution solve that problem? You know, we, we've um, been building spacecraft for decades, uh, deep space, space probes and Mars, and we build a lot of high performance aircraft. And so we're always thinking about the mission. And, you know, as we get farther and farther from the earth, kind of doing longer and longer missions, trying to accomplish more complex things. The, we like to say that the, the ones and zeros multiply. There's so much more data. There's so much more complexity. And yet you're further from the earth. You have time delays because of the speed of light and the connectivity and networks. Um, and you have bandwidth limitations and the far side of the moon. And so we said, we got to figure out how astronauts can interact with the spacecraft, with each other, and with the ground in ways that are beyond just, you know, the blue screen typing in ones and zeros to the computer. And so, you know, we all joke about HAL 9000 and so forth. But in truth, having an onboard computerized, not just voice recognition, but processing that can be your assistant. We said, we got to try this out and figure out how to take the enormous acceleration that's happened here on the earth. How can we use that for, uh, for the astronauts out in space? So that was the genesis of this, this technology demonstration is just how can we get this to work? 
And how are you going to get it to work? <laughs> I think this sounds like a, a lot of off-the-shelf technology, technology that we are all familiar with from, you know, video conferencing to talking to a smart speaker uh, to using our Wi-Fi routers. It's essentially all the stuff that's right here in my office, right? It turned out to be a lot harder than Rob thought it was going to be. I think I had visions of just slapping an Echo Dot on the cabin uh, front panel and away we'd go. Um, but one of the things, and a lot of the folks uh, that are listening and, and thinking about this are probably aware, when you talk to Alexa at your home, that information all goes to the cloud, and that's where the voice processing and all of what's called the information graph, which is the data that, that she has access to. Well, there is no cloud on the far side of the moon yet. So we sat down with Amazon, and they said, we love your idea. We love the concept. And in fact, um, they'll tell their, their story, which is that Alexa originally was kind of envisioned off of the Star Trek computer. Um, that was sort of their inspiration, if you will. So we, when we called them, we said, hey, we want to do this. And they said, oh, this, we wanted to do that for, for decades. That sounds fantastic. Now, let's talk about how to do it. So we had to create, with Amazon's help, a local instantiation of Alexa, kind of download her into the actual spacecraft. Um, and the cool thing is Amazon was looking at that already for terrestrial applications where you don't have connection to the internet. So if you're out in the mountains in your car, you still want Alexa to be able to help you with your ambiance or your radio controls. So you need some local processing. And so they said, we've got this concept we're working up, local voice control, it's called. Let's put it on the far side of the moon. And that led to this awesome collaboration of engineers and nerds and software folks. And what kind of tasks will, because it won't be called Alexa, right? It's what, Castillo? Uh, yeah, so, so our payload is called Callisto. Um, we, we spent some time on that, actually, you know, because we're creative nerds. So we were thinking uh, Artemis is, of course, NASA's program that we're like just geeked out to be part of to put um, the first woman and the first person of color on the moon, back to the moon. And Artemis is that overarching program. And Orion spacecraft is part of that program. And Callisto in Greek mythology, a little bit of little history, Greek mythology, she was an assistant to Artemis, um, a hunting assistant. And so we said, this is going to be kind of our vision, which is we want to help the crew in the future. Now, there's no crew on Artemis 1, as you know, but we want to test this out for future crew use. How could it be used? This is a very complex spacecraft. We have 250,000 telemetry points. You know, you're, you're farther than humans ever gone in space before. And so you have layer upon layer of redundancy and, and capabilities on the spacecraft. So by having a digital voice assistant, you can say, What's the average temperature across uh, this part of the spacecraft? What's my average battery voltage? How long until my next burn um, that is gonna occur for the mission? And so that's the main use case is interacting with the spacecraft in a way that's normal, like we do at home. What's the weather? How fast am I traveling heading towards the moon? That's our big test case. The other one, and this is where our Cisco partner came in with WebEx, is to interact with the spacecraft um, from mission control. And that is both, um, it's actually photogenic as heck, so it's a lot of fun, but our, our use case is crew on the spacecraft and the, the mission control center, the steely-eyed missile people, right, back in Houston control, interacting with them in a much more familiar way. So certainly using WebEx video conferencing, but also using technology like Whiteboard. So one of the things we're going to test is you can write on the tablet in mission control, and it shows up 
on the tablet in the spacecraft near real time, right? Light delays. And that is going to allow us to test out how would you collaborate? You know, we engineers and nerds, we get in front of the whiteboard and we start, you know, writing out F equals MA and drawing circuit diagrams. You want to be able to do that same sort of thing when you're so far from home that uh, you got to start figuring out stuff on your own. And so that's the second big use case in Cisco's WebEx collaboration. And that's tough because we don't have anybody on board, right? So Alexa, in that instance, is helping us to test it almost like a, a virtual crew member, right? Now, the idea is she's always being an assistant, and here she's being an assistant to crew members back on Earth. Um, very, very cool. Have you or the, and the engineering team talked to astronauts about some of the things that they need? And, and how important is having this this that connection? You know, you, you're 250,000 miles from home, being able to have a familiar voice or or connect to the engineers that, that you're trusting has got to be really great for morale on board, right? Oh, you know, it, it's fun when you talk to the astronauts and they're the smartest and bravest people I've I've met. Um, it's really fascinating uh, when you talk to some of the folks that have gone to the space station and are in low Earth orbit, they feel the sense of connection with the Earth. You know, you hear the joke about there's, you know, the map lines don't appear from space. Um, you see that thin layer of atmosphere, right? And so it's the fragility of the planet and you feel very connected. When you've talked to some of the Apollo astronauts, and I've had the honor to talk to a whole bunch of them, they all say the same thing, which is, you know, I could reach out. And you remember the famous scene from Apollo 13. You can stick your thumb out and cover the entire planet. Like everything you've ever read, heard, know, you've covered with your thumb. Um, that led to this sort of distance, right? They're like, oh my gosh, I am so separated now from the Earth. And when you think about going out to Mars, like at that point, the Earth is just a blue dot. Like Mars is a red dot for us, Earth will be a blue dot. It's, it looks like another star. And at that point, you're so disconnected from Earth um, that you, you got to figure out how you're going to address that, right? So one of the, the exciting things about this is not only the ability to derive equations and solve rocket equations and you know schematics to work out problems, but to actually be able to interact with people from home via WebEx, for example, or with that on board. And her name is Alexa. Um, that's the wake up, um, the wake sign or the wake name is uh, Alexa, blah, blah, blah. Same iconic blue light ring shows up, same voice. And so that's another way of providing that sort of connection back to the rest of humanity. Um, and so we think that's going to be really important as astronauts go further and longer into deep space. The same voice, you didn't use this as an opportunity to get someone like Shatner to voice this up or <laughs> someone else. <laughs> Remember, this was commercial technology, so <laughs> minimum changes. Um, and uh, I tell you, the first time we tested it out, I, you know, and you ask, you ask her, and, we, and we've got uh, Amazon, by the way, just fantastic job, both Amazon and Cisco, like the engineers just blew us away. And um, so the first time we said, Alexa, what's the speed of Orion? And it was in a simulation. And she said, you know, we're doing, you know, Mach 28, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I th thought, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to exactly the same Alexa I have at home, same algorithm, same software, just locally instantiated. And she's telling me about the spacecraft in real time. And uh, we've got about, I think, a thousand uh, new utterances because your Alexa at home doesn't normally have to check the heat shield temperature. So we had to teach her all about the Orion spacecraft. And uh, it's just amazing when you suddenly realize it's just like what you do at home and now you're doing it with the spacecraft. And when it's on the other side of the moon, it'll just be kind of mind blowing. It makes you realize uh, that we're part of the journey. It's not just someone else doing it. Mm -hmm. 
tell me a bit about the hardware that's going to be on Artemis One. I mean, how much space does Callisto take up? What what are kind of the things that you had to install on the spacecraft for this to work? Yeah, the um, folks can go out and and uh, actually you can go home and ask Callista to take me to the moon. And she'll start telling you all about it. She'll ask you if you want information about launch and she'll give you websites. And so you can see some pictures, but I'll draw a, a word picture if I may. Um, so in the front of the cockpit is a, uh, it's about the size of an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. Um, above that is a speaker grill and the iconic light ring. And behind that is an extra computer card. But other than that, it looks like a dot. And then below that is a tablet. And that tablet is where Cisco will provide their WebEx uh, capability for video conferencing as well as whiteboard. Because this is already developed technology, does that make it easier with if, if you find an issue on Artemis 1 for you to adjust the system and, and, and kind of make those changes that you need for, for future missions, right? You know, if there weren't hundreds of millions of Amazon Alexa connected devices and hundreds of millions of users of WebEx and Whiteboard, we could never even have considered doing this. When we reached out both to Cisco and to Amazon and said, let's create some next generation transformative ways that astronauts could interact. And those same transformative ways are ways that we can bring the public, America, the world along for the ride. They were ecstatic. And we said, okay, now what do we have to do to the technology? And it turned out not to be very much. No, that, it's, the, uh, it's the old joke about, you know, it's, uh, it's just an X mark, but it takes a heck of a lot to figure out where to put the X, right? So, but with the, the sheer amount of technological development and all the beta testers across the planet, uh, that got us to a point where we never could have done it if we didn't have that behind us. Amazon, by the way, calls this the, um, the most visible beta test of a system they've ever done. <laughs> and we said, okay, it's going to work great though. So, I mean, so what you're saying is if anybody has jumped on a WebEx call or has asked Alexa for something, they've essentially helped develop this technology that's bringing us back to the moon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes people think space is just for a handful of, of small companies or just the astronauts. And that is not the case. We sometimes talk about the democratization of space and all that means is like we're all part of it. You know, when I was growing up and, and um, going in through uh, Purdue and getting my, my geek degree, we didn't have CubeSats. Now, like my kid in middle school is working on a CubeSat. So the ability for the average person um, who's interested to be involved, and now the technologies that you test and use day to day, we can leverage because we've got the ability to kind of port stuff forward into these high-end spacecraft that have gigabit Wi-Fi and off-the-shelf capabilities. Like everyone is contributing, like we're all doing space. It's not just a handful of people out there. Mm -hmm. We've been speaking with Rob Chambers. He's the director of commercial civil space strategy at Lockheed Martin. Rob, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Still to come, before Alexa heads to the moon, its rocket must undergo a critical test ahead of its launch later this year. What's ahead for SLS's wet dress rehearsal? Are we there yet? Is back in a minute.
You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. We heard about Orion's stowaway, Alexa, earlier in the show. But before Alexa and the Orion space capsule can head to space, its ride to the moon needs to complete a critical test. It's called the wet dress rehearsal, where rocket engineers for NASA's SLS team roll it to the pad, fuel it up, and practice the countdown all while testing critical systems of the vehicle. To talk more about this test happening next month at Kennedy Space Center, we're joined by Jeremy Graber. He's the Assistant Launch Director for Artemis One. This is obviously very important in in the Artemis One campaign. Uh, you're learning a lot about the vehicle, these new processes. But I want to take a step back. You're taking this vehicle, fully stacked vehicle, from the VAB to the launch pad. That is no easy feat. I mean, this thing is, what, 365 feet tall, it's extremely heavy. How do you physically get it from the VAB to the launch pad? Well, that's that's one of the great things about the capabilities we here have here at, uh, at Kennedy Space Center as part of the Exploration Ground Systems Program. So um, our crawler transporter, uh, it's, it's the capability we utilize to um, basically pick up the entire mobile launcher as well as the entire vehicle stacked on top of that mobile launcher um, and and basically drive it across what we call our crawler way, which is uh, filled with Tennessee River Rock. It's a it's just over four mile trip out to pad B um, and we go uh, at about 0.8 miles per hour. It takes about an eight hour uh, shift to drive the entire vehicle and mobile launcher out to the launch pad. And as we get to the launch pad, uh, the launch pad is sloped to get up to the launch mounts that we'll set the mobile launcher down on top of, as well as the vehicle. And the amazing capability that this uh, the crawler transporter has is it's able to basically lift the mobile launcher um, and keep it uh, horizontal and and keep it level as it goes up that slope. Um, this is a capability that um, has been around since the Apollo program, uh, utilized throughout the space shuttle program, and uh, we're really proud of the crawler transporter and, and its capabilities to be able to to do this amazing feat and uh, and move this massive mobile launcher and and Artemis rocket out to uh, out to pad B. This this has been around for a while, but it hasn't been used in a while, right? I mean, the last time the crawler way was used for something coming out of the VAB was the space shuttle program, right? So this is this is a good chance to kind of, you know, work out any rust or kinks in, in these systems, right, in, in transporting this vehicle and, and getting it to where it needs to go? So we've actually been doing, uh, u- utilizing the, the crawler way and the crawler transporter uh, um, significantly over the last several years. We've uh, um, done significant modifications to the crawler transporters to be able to handle the additional weight that the mobile launcher and the Artemis vehicle um, um, provide. And so uh, we've done a lot of work to condition and to to refurbish the, the crawler way, um, the entire expanse of the crawler way. Um, and we've uh, really We've rolled our mobile launcher without a vehicle on top of it. We've rolled the mobile launcher out to pad B, uh, I believe, two or three times in the last few years. Um, so we we have done a lot of practice uh, with just the mobile launcher and the crawler transporter, but this will be the first time we roll with the vehicle stacked. And so we're all very excited for that. You know, one of the one of the things we're really excited for is for the world to get to see uh, the Artemis vehicle um out in the open outside the vab and uh 
for for everybody to see. We're we're really proud of the work that uh, this whole team has done over the years, um, getting us to this point. And uh, the the kind of the unveiling of the rocket um, is is something we're all very uh, excited to to show the world. It, it's most definitely a milestone. I'm very excited about to see this thing emerge from the VAB. You kind of mentioned it a bit before, but I'm, I kind of want to know a sense of of kind of the feeling of, of you and your colleagues as, as we get closer and closer to this moment where SLS fully stacked does emerge. How are you feeling? Are you anxious, excited, uh, a little bit of both? What's it like in, in, uh, in your office uh, thinking about that moment? So I think you could throw a whole bunch of those kinds of terms into to how myself and, and many of uh, uh, my coworkers are feeling. You know, we've really been working uh, extremely hard over the past many years to get to this point and and knowing that we're we're that close to it and it's not just the moment of rollout but knowing that as soon as we roll out we're we are uh on a path to um our entire pad flow for wet dress which really says we're that much closer to launch uh it it's extremely exciting uh this is what we uh this is what we live for this is what uh where our passion is and uh hopefully you can hear it in my voice this is i love my job i love the opportunity that i get to do um uh in all aspects of this work and so uh again uh, our team and and teams across all of nasa and and all the support to this have been working extremely hard to to get to this point so yeah uh anxious excited all those things uh all wrapped into to, to that emotions I mean, getting getting the rocket and, and the mobile launcher there is is just the first step in in wet dress. You mentioned some of the things that that you're going to be looking for, um, like you know, working out all these systems, the communication systems with the different centers across the country that need to communicate with this vehicle. But I mean, what are some specific things that you'll be looking at um, that that kind of need to go right, or, or you need to collect some data on? Uh, before you can give the go for the actual launch, what are some of the um, the top line things that that you're going to be keeping an eye on during this wet dress rehearsal? Yeah, so I would say the primary one is uh, you know the core stage, um, as we know, has has gone through a hot fire, uh, but we have not serviced uh, the the core stage and our and our ICPS from pad B before, so really understanding and seeing how the the ground systems and the flight systems all react to that cryogenic environment uh, is really probably the the key piece of of wet dress but but really having the opportunity to walk through all of the different timelines the different uh, integration of work um, we've we've done a, a, a an amazing amount of work to lay out our plans and lay out our timelines for our launch countdown and wet dress is our opportunity to really really um demonstrate those timelines and and make sure that we've accounted for everything um and so those two things coupled the the big technical pieces from a uh, from a cryogenic loading perspective um as well as the demonstration of our timelines and and the integration between our software our our ground software and our flight software those are all all kind of wrap into the the bigger uh, goals and objectives that we're looking for in uh, in wet dress rehearsal. And will this have to happen for future Artemis missions? Will will it have to go through such a strenuous wet dress rehearsal for Artemis 2, Artemis 3, and beyond? Um, 
or is what you're learning from this particular wet dress rehearsal applicable to future SLS missions? So definitely applicable to future missions. Um, there are always opportunities or or um, requirements that come along that will drive different test campaigns um, based on different sets of requirements. Um, we'll always uh, look at um, things like uh, first time, first use or first time through. Uh, so if, if we go to a new upper, when we go to a new upper stage, we would go through a wet dress rehearsal to demonstrate through that capability. So um, every mission has got its own set of uh, parameters and, and requirements. So there are opportunities and, and needs to do additional wet dress rehearsals in the future. And again, those are all baselined as a part of each mission and we'll uh, account for those uh, individually per those missions. Gotcha, so wet dress rehearsal is, is slated for sometime in March. You bring the, the rocket out, you, you make all of these observations, you collect your data, bring the vehicle back into the VAB uh, then what happens? Um, what's what's left to do after a successful wet dress rehearsal? So one of the or some of the things that we do uh, as a part of this wet dress rehearsal is, as you as you mentioned, we're, we're going to capture a lot of uh, observations as well as a lot of data and uh, whatever data that we collect and we analyze and look through it, um, we may need to make some adjustments. But definitely as we roll back into uh, the vehicle assembly building, there are uh, there's a set of work that we know we have to do. There are some sensors across uh, the mobile launcher and the vehicle that we will take off. Um, and then we have to do our second part of our uh, flight termination system uh, um, testing and installation of ordnance. And so that's really the last thing that we'll do in the vehicle assembly building um, after uh, we do any of the rework that needs to be done prior to launch. We'll do that second part of our flight termination system uh, testing and, and closeouts, and then really at that point we are ready to roll back out and uh, and go for the for for launch of Artemis One. And finally, Jeremy, for that launch of Artemis One, where where are you going to be? So I will be in uh, the launch control center, uh, firing room one. That's our uh, command and control firing room, and I'll be sitting next to Charlie Blackwell Thompson, our launch director. She's our uh, She's who we're, everybody in that room is there to make sure we've got all of our systems and our capabilities in place. And uh, my job is to make sure she has everything she needs on launch day. So I'll be sitting right next to her uh, in the assistant launch director chair and uh, uh, providing her all the support she needs on launch day. I mean, it's got to be an incredible feeling knowing that you'll be in that chair for a launch in just a few short weeks. I mean, that, that's that got to be an incredible feeling. It is. Very, very excited for it. Uh, a lot of work to, to do from here till then, but uh, it's great work. It's exciting work. And uh, we're, this whole team is, uh, and I know Charlie would say this, this whole team is, uh, is prepped, ready, and uh, we're, we're ready to make history with Artemis One. That was NASA's Jeremy Graber, the Assistant Launch Director for Artemis One. That's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. You can do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can visit WMFE.org slash Are We There Yet for more. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Production assistance, including editing, this week from our intern, Beatrice Oliveira. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.